You're listening to Christianity 101, a Sunday school series taught by the elders and deacons of Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for uh, the opportunity we have to be together as believers in Christ and to study um, the word that you've given us. And I pray that as we um, think about um, the word of God this morning, that you would once again, remind us of the gift that we have, of how incredible it is that you have spoken and given to us um, a Bible that we can learn from and that we can follow, that we can believe and trust fully, that we can know is without error. And Lord, I pray that you would um, just get us excited about this book and about knowing it and knowing the God that it reveals. And I pray that you'd help us this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There's a prayer that I used a, a little while back, um, but it, I thought it was good. It, it's something that I've tried to remember, and the prayer goes like this. Lord, deliver us from the cowardice that dare not face truth, from the laziness that is contented with half-truths, and from the arrogance that it thinks it knows all truth. And I think all those three statements are helpful that we shouldn't be cowardly and not be willing to face truth. We shouldn't be lazy and just be like, oh, I'm okay with what I have. And we shouldn't be arrogant thinking that we know it already. And I, and I believe it's the Word of God that helps us in all of those instances. We go to the Word and we find that there is truth there. And that's where we discover it. And that's where we face it. If we want to know truth and not be lazy, we have to study it and get into it and, and know what it says. And if we want to guard ourselves from being arrogant, then we have to come to the Bible humbly and know that it has much to teach us. We've been doing a series called Christianity 101, and I wondered if you could tell me what you think a series called Christianity 101 ought to teach. What should it teach? Christianity, okay. So maybe what Christians believe? That's good, it's a good start. But the problem is, there's no real consensus about exactly what Christians believe. In other words, there are many shared beliefs among Christians, but there are also some beliefs that are debatable. And so if we were to talk about what Christians believe, we might have to say, well, here some people believe this, and some people believe this, and some people believe this, and, and we'd get into a lot of issues um, that are probably not, they're not essentials, but they're secondary. So, so just that general statement maybe isn't narrow enough. How about what the Bible teaches? That's good, but it's a lofty goal. It's a goal that we will not get through until before we die. We could be here from this point until we died, and we still wouldn't get through it. And so, maybe that's too much. Carolyn? I think we should teach God is holy and we are not. Sin is. Yep, God is holy and we are not. Okay, that's one of the absolute essential things we need to understand about Christianity. Good. And there are others too, Sam? It's a proper view of ourselves. Yep. Good. Okay, understanding the nature of mankind. And that yeah. Absolutely. It's a it's amazing when you go to the Word of God with the right attitude, understanding that it is it is revealing Him to us, but that it also speaks so much truth about us, about um, our nature, about who we, who we are without Him, the sinners that we are. And so the Bible is very helpful in, the, in those respects. What I kind of came to is that in a series about Christianity 101, we're just teaching the basic and essential doctrines of the Bible. So the basic and essentials. God, the Father, Christ, what he did, who he, who he was, what he came to, to accomplish. Um, the Holy Spirit, the nature of man, 
the Trinity. We'll be getting to heaven and hell and the church and the blessed hope. Those are the essentials, the core doctrines. So that's what we're trying to do. But here in the middle of the series, we have to understand the foundational doctrine for every one of those beliefs. There is a a doctrine that, that all of those beliefs rest on. And if we lose this doctrine, we've lost it all. That is the doctrine of Scripture. Bibliology, the study of the Word of God. It is one of the most basic and essential doctrines of the Bible is the Bible. And everything that we know about God, Jesus, man, life, eternal life, heaven, hell, church, necessarily follows from this one statement. God is and he has spoken. God is and he has spoken. I have taught many lessons about the Bible in the past. I love teaching about the Bible. In 2016, we did a 13-week series on Bible translations. It is a subject that I'm very passionate about um, for this reason. If we don't have the Word of God, then we have nothing. I'm not so attracted to the idea of having people to hang out with every Sunday that if the Bible wasn't true, I would still do this. If the Bible's not true then this is a waste of time. If the Bible is not true, then everything that we know, everything we we know about this life, about eternal life, we got to throw those things out and start fresh. I mean, we need a new philosophy. We need a new way of life. If the Bible is not true, everything else crumbles. And so it might not be the most glamorous doctrine, bibliology, the study of the Word of God, but it might be the most important because everything else rests upon it. So what I want to do is I want to make this as practical and as basic as possible. We're going to answer two questions about the Bible today and two questions about the Bible next week. Today we'll cover what what is it and what is it for. And then next week we will cover who or what is it about and so what. What do we do about it? All right. So hopefully as basic as it can. So let's get into what is it. And I want to begin with some indisputable facts. These are facts that I think all people, whether they believe the Bible is the Word of God or not, will agree to. Um, we might begin by saying, what is it? What is the Bible? And we'd say, well, it's a book. And we'd be kind of right. But a better answer is that it's a collection of books. The word Bible comes from the Greek word Biblia, it means the books or the scrolls. And so it is a collection of 66 books that claim to be the words of God. Scripture claims to be the word of God around 3,800 times. That's a lot of times where it says the Lord said, or this is what, what was spoken, or this is what the Lord told me to write, or all of those types of phrases all together, 3,800 times, quite a bit. So it certainly claims to be the word of God. Uh, the Bible can be divided into two parts, the Old Testament which has 39 books, and the New Testament, which has 27 books. The word testament means covenant. So we have the idea already in this division of the Bible that there is an old covenant, an old promise, and a new covenant, or the fulfilling of that first covenant, covenant in, a, in a new covenant. It can be subdivided further if we took the 39 books of the Old Testament. Hopefully this is helpful for you just to organize what's going on in the Old Testament in your mind. Um, There are five books of the law, 12 books of history, five books of wisdom, five books of of the major prophets, and 12 books of the minor prophets. So if you remember 5, 12, 5, 5, 12, 
you can kind of divide up how the our Bible is laid out. Um, even maybe easier is just to remember 17 books that are like history law, five books that are wisdom, and then 17 prophets. Okay, So it's pretty simple. The 27 books of the New Testament can also be divided up. We have four Gospels that tell the story of Jesus' life, death, resurrection. We have one book of history, which is the selected history of the first 30 years of the church. We have 21 letters that are to churches and to believers. And one book that I think is kind of undefinable. You call it a book of prophecy, but the first few chapters are letters. And so you've got a book that's just got a lot, but it's a a lot of it is apocalyptic literature. It's, It's about the end times. The Bible was written by at least 40 different authors. And some authors wrote multiple books. So for example, Moses wrote at least five books. John wrote five books. The Apostle Paul wrote 13, maybe 14 books, depending on who you think wrote the book of Hebrews. There are also books like Psalms that within the one book, there are many different authors. And there are 50 of the Psalms that we don't know who wrote them. There are other books that we don't know for sure who wrote them. For example, the books like First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Esther, Job, New Testament, we have Hebrews. And we don't know for sure who wrote those books. Now, different um, theologians and scholars have ideas about who they think might have written them, but we don't know for sure. These authors came from highly varied cultural backgrounds and socioeconomic status. Um, they were shepherds, kings, poets, tax collectors, doctors, prophets, priests, farmers, fishermen, scribes, and, and more. And so you have a, a vast variety of people that God inspired to write his word. Not only for, were they from different cultural backgrounds, but they're written over a long period of time. It was written over around 1,600 years, from approximately 1,500 BC to AD 100. And it was written in three different languages, but primarily in two. So the Old Testament is primarily written in Hebrew, but there is some Aramaic. And the New Testament is written in Greek. It's written across three different continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe. So what I'm trying to explain right now is that the Bible really comes from um, a huge span of time, a whole variety of different authors, a lot of different cultures and backgrounds and places. And that's important to understand because when we open this book, we realize that, there are, that God was using a lot of different people to, to pen these words from a lot of different situations. And so when we open this book and we find how cohesive it is, we should be amazed. How is that possible that this fits together? How is it possible that these aren't constantly contradicting? How is it possible that what's written here speaks to our situation today, in some cases, 3,500 years later? It's amazing. It's incredible. The original Bible was not separated by chapter and verse. Um, the chapters were added in the, about the 13th century and the verses around the 15th and 16th century. So the Geneva Bible was the first English Bible that was separated by chapter and verse as our Bibles are today. Um, the first book written was probably the book of Job. The final book written was the book of Revelation. Uh, since its translation, uh, since, since it's been translated, it's been translated completely into about 530 different languages and has been partially translated into 
Some people say around 3,000 languages, and some say up to 6,000 languages. So it probably depends on how much partial translation you're looking for to, to determine what it is. But the point is that the Bible has been translated a, a lot since its writing. And one of the interesting things is a lot of the Bible that Jesus quoted was actually a translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. He was, re- translating, he was quoting from the Greek Septuagint. And so we can, we can be confident that God's word can be translated and still maintain God's word, the authority that's present within it. It is the best-selling book of all time. It remains so. And interestingly, it's also the most shoplifted book of all time. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. I think it's because it's, it's, it's in churches, and so like you can, you can grab one out of your church and just slip it in your purse. Or, and then it's in hotels, and so you can take it up from hotels. I mean, it's in a lot of places, right? There's been um, around 5 billion Bibles sold all time. They say about 100 million copies are sold each year now. And the country that prints the most Bibles is China. Because <laughs> China does the most of everything. <laughs> um, they produce it a lot. They don't, they don't particularly like their people reading it. But they do produce it. And I think that's changing. I think actually what God is doing in China is incredible. Um, the number of new believers all the time and the, the, the speed at which Christianity is growing there is amazing. Um, the church is really growing. So, but officially, the government is still against Christianity. Um, the Bible is approximately 774,000 words long in English. It would take the average reader about 70 hours to read it through. That might sound like a daunting task, but that's about 12 minutes per day for a year. So if you want to get through the Bible, you can. Uh, The Bible claims to be inspired, which means literally God-breathed. There are different ideas of what inspiration means. And when we talk about somebody being inspired, we might just think that they were like energized or there's something that like caught their attention and made them want to do something that inspired them to do it. But when we talk about what the Bible is being inspired, it's... It's when when I am speaking, you are hearing the thoughts in my head. I'm breathing out the thoughts in my head, and so the the idea that the Bible is God breathed is that it's God's thoughts, it's God's message being breathed out through other people, and so it's not just that they were inspired to write something and, and they got some of it right and some of it wrong, and some ideas were good. It's that God inspired them and that He gave them the words. He breathed out His words through them. Um. One of the things that makes me so confident in the Bible is how often Jesus quoted it, that he said that what was written in the Old Testament had to be fulfilled, it must be fulfilled. He validated the historicity by making historical references, so he, he talked about Adam and Eve, he talked about Jonah, right? he, he went to some of, some of even the stories that people will attack most um, most often today, creation and, and the story of Jonah, and he said they were real people, right? Those things actually happened, just like Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights. So will the Son of Man um, be in the belly of the earth. And, and so Jesus was pretty sure the Bible was the Word of God, right? Um, he used it as his authority when defending his own teaching. Now you think about that. Jesus is God incarnate in the flesh. And God incarnate in the flesh chooses 
to reference his own words in the Old Testament rather than just speaking whatever he wants to say. He was just showing us the authority of the Bible. He was providing an example for us as well. And so at its core, the Bible is a collection of 66 books written by a diversity of authors from many different places over a long period of time who wrote using many different types of literature. Despite its incredible diversity, the Bible tells one unified story about a God who creates and redeems mankind. So those are the facts. And clearly, a lot of people believe the Bible is a big deal. Millions of Christians have died as martyrs for their beliefs over the centuries. And their beliefs they died for were founded upon this book. Hundreds of millions, if not billions, have lived and died believing the Bible to be more than just a regular collection of books. And even today, nearly one in three people claim some allegiance to the Bible as God's word. I'm not saying that one in three people are Christians. Don't get me wrong there. I'm saying that there's a lot of people that still point to the Bible and say it's God's word. So whatever you believe about the Bible, it is by far the most important and influential book of all time. That's what it is. Now, what is it for? Okay, and this is where we're going to move from just the facts about the Bible to what, as a believer, we should, we should take the Bible to be, what it's for in our lives. Uh, simply put, the Bible is God's word or God's revelation to mankind, right? God is, and he has spoken. And because he has spoken, he's revealed himself. He's revealed everything that we need to know about this life and the next. Now, how do we know that? How do we know that the Bible is God's word? that he provides for us everything we need for this life and the next? Well, because the Bible says so. Yeah, I know. That's circular reasoning, right? It is. But, if you think about it, why do you know that you know anything? Well, your reason tells you that you do. That's circular reasoning. So at some point, we all have an authority. We all have a foundation. And no matter what we do, that is going to be based on circular reasoning. And what I've found in my life is that my brain, my thinking, is less um, reliable than what I found the Bible to be. Okay, more often I'm wrong than I've, that I've seen that the Bible is wrong. In fact, I can't say that I've ever seen the Bible to be wrong. There's a lot I don't understand still. There's a lot that I'm still, still working through, but I've never gone to the Bible and been like, yeah, it's absolutely wrong here. It's many times I've been proven wrong in my own mind. And so if I have to choose an ultimate foundation, an ultimate authority, it makes more sense to me to choose the word of God that never fails than it does myself who fails constantly. Now you might ask, well, prove it. Okay? Prove to me that the Bible is God's word. Well, it's impossible to scientifically prove that the Bible is God's word. And so doing, trying to do so would take us a long time, and it, and it would ultimately fail. Um, Christian apologists have written volumes that produce evidence for the historical accuracy of the Bible, the preservation of the original words through thousands of copies, the prophecies that were fulfilled, the cohesiveness, the unity of the authors. I mean, there's so many lines of evidence that you can go on to show that the Bible is a divine book. But ultimately, at the end of the day, based on the scientific method, can you prove that the Bible is the Word of God? No, it takes faith. And the fact is, most unbelievers will never read these books unless their spiritual eyes are opened. Unless God shows them and draws them and they respond to the convicting of the Holy Spirit. And no argument is going to compel them to believe. 
in itself. And so when we look at the Bible, we understand that, that this book is it's divine, it's authoritative, it's awesome. But it's one of those things that you're not going to be able to, to walk to somebody in the street and say, hey, listen, I'm going to prove to you that the Bible is God's word. You can't do it. Okay, That's something that God has to do in their hearts. He has to sh- show them. He has to draw them. He has to convict them. And if he does that, they have an opportunity to respond to his word. So what is it for? While it's the true and unfailing revelation of God to man, the Bible reveals the plight of sinful mankind and the gracious plan of God to call out a people to himself who will live with him forever. Essentially, the Bible is truth from God about this life and the next. And I think it's helpful at this point to consider some of the attributes of the Bible that we find in God's word. And if we were to just, if I was to ask you, what are some of the attributes of God's word? What would you say that they are? Just name some of the ones that come to your mind when you think of an attribute or a characteristic of the Bible. True. Transforming. Transforming. Good. Good. It reveals. Okay. So it reveals. Yeah. Absolutely. Convicts. Convicts. It's convicting. Absolutely. Good. I mean, there, are, there are many others, and I know we could probably be here all day, and it'd be a lot of awkward silence if we were. <laughs> um, but what I want to do today is I, I found there's four attributes, and they seem to act like the four corners of the foundation. And so there's a lot to the foundation, but these four corners um, seem to hold the rest together. And so I want to give you those four, and I'm hoping that, that in the rest of this class, you will remember these four things. Okay? It is the sufficiency, the clarity, the authority, and the necessity of Scripture. Sufficiency, clarity, authority, necessity. If we say it another way, it is that Scripture is enough, it is knowable, it is final, and it is needed. So, Scripture is sufficient. It is enough. Uh, second, Timothy chapter 3, verses 15 and 17, some of the most quoted verses about the Bible, but they are quoted that way for a reason. They are incredible verses. Paul writes, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Okay, scripture is sufficient. Now, what we mean by that, that Scripture is enough, is that we don't need constant new revelation in our lives in order for us to know God's will. And this, these verses make that so abundantly clear, right? Scripture was enough to lead Timothy to a knowledge of salvation. There is no record of God appearing to Timothy. There's no record of Timothy hearing a dream. What there's a record of is him having a grandmother and a mother and and then a a mentor in the Apostle Paul who taught him the Word of God, who taught him Scripture. And Scripture was enough for him to be saved. So he didn't need something new. This is really important for us to get. It is enough. It is sufficient. Not only was it enough for him to be saved for his eternal life, but look at all these things that Paul says that it can do. It is profitable for doctrine. Okay, it's profitable so that you know what's true, for correction, so you can see what's false. Sorry, that's for reproof, 
for correction so you, you can know um, what you're doing wrong and then for instruction so that you can know how is right to live, instruction in righteousness, right? And we need those things. We need to see what's true and what's false and we need to see how we ought to live and, and what we're doing wrong in our lives. And those things combined, if Scripture can do all of those things combined, they are able to make a man and a woman perfect or complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Scripture is sufficient. Okay? Now, if Scripture wasn't sufficient, what would happen? If it wasn't sufficient, we'd stand up there on Sunday morning and we'd say, well, I'm, I can open the Bible today, but I need to find something else. I don't, what, I, what I have for you today, what, what Scripture has for you today isn't enough, right? I need more. When you wake up in the morning to pray, you'd pray, you'd read your Bible, and you'd ask God to show you something that He hasn't already revealed to you in His Word, right? Can I tell you something? That is happening all the time. I mean, the new craze in Christianity is, I need my own Word from the Lord, I'm going to get in a quiet place and I'm just going to wait until he tells me something. Um, my wife, Tara, grew up in a, a church that was a little bit different than ours. And she went to a youth conference. And at the youth conference, the pastor or the, the speaker told all of the kids to bow their heads, close their eyes, and then asked them, I want you to talk to Jesus. I want you to ask him some questions. And so the questions were, Jesus, what's your favorite kind of car? What's your favorite color? Right? And so then at the end, everybody was encouraged to share what Jesus' favorite car is. And they all had different answers, <laughs> right? Because they probably chose their favorite car and their favorite car. Hey, Tara, just talking about you. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and and this, is, this is the massive problem. You have a chance to talk in front of a group of teenagers and point to the Word of God as the authority in their lives, and instead you're telling the, I don't know, like, meditate, make up answers. There's there's no authority, right? There's no helpfulness. Because Scripture is enough, it means we get to stand up and with authority, with with hope that this is is real, this is transformative, that it's powerful, we can stand up and say, this is what you need. This is what you need to hear. And this is enough for you to know eternal life and for you to know exactly how you need to be living for the glory of God today. That's awesome. That's an awesome truth about God's Word. A few more verses. Um, we are told in John 16, 13, that the Spirit of truth, when He's come, will guide us in all truth. What do you think that's meaning? How does the Spirit do that? Um, the Spirit first gave them truth through the apostles writing down Scripture. A child. <laughs> and then the Spirit of God helped illuminate that truth as, as they read it and as they studied it. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says, According as his divine power has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. What is Peter talking about? Well, I mean, he's talking about certainly the revelation of Jesus Christ. But as believers today, where do we find the revelation of Christ? In fact, even in the same book, where did, where did Peter point people to that was the more sure revelation of Christ than their own eyes. Their own eyewitness testimony, it was the word of God. That was what was more sure. Those are where we find the exceeding and the precious promises. In Revelation 22, I know this is a, this is a warning for 
and a lot would say for specifically the book of Revelation, but this is how the Bible ends. For I testify unto every man that hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add to these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in the book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from those things which are written in this book. You see that, that the authority at the end there is the book. And the book doesn't need to be added to and it, and it shouldn't have anything taken away from it. Why? Because when you do that, it's not enough. You add to it, you've said it's not enough. When you take away, it's, it's lost some of what it needs to be enough. It is sufficient, okay? So first one, it is enough. Everybody get that? You're going to remember that? Perfect. Second one, it is clear. The clarity of Scripture, right? It is knowable. Uh, some call this the doctrine of perspicuity. Uh, and what this doctrine is saying is that Scripture is not just um, enough to help us, but then really vague so we can't understand it. Right? Scripture is sufficiently clear for us to know what we need to know. And this is important because you have a lot of people who would say, yeah, okay, I, I know that you believe in the Bible, but everybody interprets it their own way. Everybody sees it their own way. And, and to, to an extent, I mean, there is a lot of doctrines, a lot of areas where people are unsure about. But when it comes to the essential truths about God, what we need to know to be saved and to become holy, to become perfect or complete, thoroughly first. In those areas, it is sufficiently clear. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11 to 14, um, Moses wrote, For this commandment, which I command you this day, is not hidden from thee, neither, it is, neither is it far off. Right? So here he's writing about the commandment he's giving, but let, let's, let's just say that this is the way that God commands. Okay? When God gives commands, they're not hidden, and they're not really far away. It is not in heaven that you should say, who shall go up to heaven and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who shall go to the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very nigh unto thee, in thy mouth and in thy heart, that thou may do it. Right? Those are great verses. The Bible's not so far away and, and, and impossible to understand it's not so ambiguous that we can have no ability to know what it says, right? The Bible is clear. And I know that there is some disagreement among churches about some, certain issues, but can I tell you something? There is, there is massive agreement about from when you have churches that believe the authority of the Bible. What you find is that you can speak to somebody who doesn't, it's not part of the same denomination as you, who, who has come from a different background, and if they really believe in the authority of the Bible, on the essentials, they'll be the same. That's an amazing thing. That's a great thing. Now you say, well, there's a lot of churches that, that don't believe those things. Yeah, you're right. And there's a lot of churches that don't believe in the authority of the Bible. And as soon as you stop believing in the authority of the Bible, then you expect a lot of other areas to drift. But when it comes to Bible-believing Christianity, there's amazing um, unity in the core beliefs. And that's because the Bible is sufficiently clear. In Psalm chapter 12, verse 6, it says, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of the earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. And that's a verse that usually goes to the inerrancy of Scripture or the, the infallibility of Scripture, that, that the Bible is without error, and it is. But I think when you look at those 
word, that verse, what he's saying, what the psalmist is saying is that the words are pure. They're not muddled. They're not confusing. They're pure. And it would make no sense for God to, to keep them and preserve them from this generation forever if they didn't make any sense. And so if we lose the clarity of Scripture, we're saying that there is, there's no value to language. The words mean nothing. And I think we all understand they do mean something. So the word is sufficient and it is clear, the clarity of Scripture. Number three, the word of God is authoritative. The word of God is authoritative. It is final. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints of marrow and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The word of God is authoritative. It is pure. It is perfect. Um, Psalm 19, verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making the wise simple. And if we were to list the verses that speak to this, I mean, it would never end. I think the ultimate is, the Bible is the word of God. It is God speaking. And when God speaks, what he says is, it's authoritative. He is the highest authority possible, and so his word carries with it his authority. Now, it's through the word of God that he created all things. It's, it's through the word of God that he will reign. His word is not just like these words on a page. We, when we look at what the Bible says about the word of God, Christ is the word made flesh, right? There's so much power in the word. And so it is authoritative, it is final. Jeremiah 23, 29, he wrote, is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. And that really is what the word is. Um, it's able to break even the hardest stone, right? It is a hammer. It, it, is, it is so powerful and so authoritative. Jesus said, till heaven and earth shall pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Right? What he's saying is the Old Testament, and the prophecies there, are so authoritative that not one of them will ever fail. Not one of them will not come to pass. Now, if we had any book where we were able to say, listen, there's these prophecies in this book and 50% of them are going to come true, do you know what that book would be? It would be amazing. It would be unbelievable. Nobody would believe that somebody was able to prophesy 50% right. And here you have 100%. Jesus promises 100% of everything that it says will come to fruition. Because it is inspired by God, God breathed, it is inerrant, it is infallible, and it is authoritative. And so when we talk about the authority of Scripture, I hope that helps us understand that when we run our church, when we plan our lives, when we think about what we believe, and I mean, in all of these areas, we should be submitting ourselves to what the Bible says, right? We don't plan to run our church outside of God's Word, right? We have no authority, um, you don't listen to a preacher who gets up there and preaches from anything other than the Word of God because there's no authority in what they're saying. Okay? You, you, when you read the Bible and it rubs you the wrong way, <laughs> then turn around. <laughs> right? Because it's authoritative. When it says something but you think something else, change your way of thinking. Okay? That's what we mean by authority, that it should change us. Uh, we should allow it to.
Number four, the Bible is necessary. It is needed. And I, I don't know if we can imagine this, but can you imagine a book that was authoritative and it was clear and it was enough, but then we didn't say we didn't need it? That'd be weird. And so we understand that the Bible is necessary. Um, in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, Paul wrote, So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you, if you go backwards on that, if you don't have the word of God, you don't have any hearing and you don't have any faith. If you don't have the word of God, you have nothing to, to say. There's, there's no way of producing faith in something that is true and right and real without the word of God. In John chapter 20, verse 31, John wrote, But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the, the Son of God, and that be, you, believing you might have life through his name. If you don't have the words that he was writing, then you don't have the ability to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Right? So we need the word of God to reveal that to us. That's why it was written down. That's why God did all this. In Luke 24, verse 44, Jesus said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, and the prophets, and the Psalms concerning me. Okay? All of it was necessary. All of it needed to be fulfilled. Every single thing written in the Old Testament about Jesus, it was fulfilled in the New Testament. Um, and, it, and all of it. We, we can't do without it. And so we need God's word in our lives. Uh, this is hopefully practical for you because counselors can counsel meaningfully because scripture is sufficient. Bible study leaders can lead confidently because scripture is clear. Preachers can preach with boldness because their biblical text is authoritative. Evangelists can evangelize with urgency because scripture is necessary. I want to leave you with this thought. Um, possessing and applying truth are two very different things. Okay? You could possess 20 sticks of deodorant, but if you don't apply them, you stink. Right? And, and really, honestly, with the Word of God, it's the same thing. We are unbelievably blessed to have multiple copies of God's word in our homes, to have it in our phones, to have it with us all the time, to be able to, I mean, we can, we have so much access to God's word, but possessing and applying are two very different things. What we need is a truth that transforms us. And if we believe these things about the word of God, if we believe that they are, it's, that it's enough, that it's authoritative, that it's um, sufficient for us, that it's, it's clear and knowable, um, and that it's necessary. If we believe those things, what are we doing about it? Okay, we're going to talk a little bit more next week about that. We're going to get into what, what the story of the Word of God is. And I, I'm looking forward to talking about just different ways that God was showing us this big story. I think that's going to be really fun to do. But then we got to get into this. What are we doing with the Bible? I mean, you have it. You, you just take it home. Are you excited about it? Are you reading it? Are you, are you I mean, applying yourself trying to get into it and understand it better and know God better, do you realize the gift that you have? It is an amazing thing. If the word of God is true and we believe that it is, we are required to know what it says. We ought to allow it to shape, mold, and correct our thinking. We must apply it to our lives to demonstrate that, yes, in fact, the wisdom of the Bible applied to life, the life of a person, works. And when we miss one of those steps, if we don't know what it says... We are professing belief in something we are ignorant of. 
Can you imagine a house inspector coming to your house and you ask that person, hey man, I'm just wondering, like, what's your background? Well, I was a, an accountant. Really, an accountant? That's strange. Okay, so like at some point you, you, you went to school for inspecting houses? No, actually I just quit my job last week. Great, so you have some construction background? No, I've never picked up a hammer in my life. And so now you have a house inspector walking around the house that knows absolutely nothing about what they're talking about, but they're supposed to be the authority. As a believer in Christ, who came to faith by the Word of God and professes belief in the Word of God, you should know something about what you're talking about. Right? You should be going to the Bible to learn it, because you shouldn't be the house inspector that knows that's professing belief in something that they're completely ignorant of. We should know what God's Word says, and if we know it, but we don't allow it to transform us, I think that's even more counterproductive. Having a group of people that know a lot about the Bible and don't do any of what it says, such a terrible testimony. We become proud jerks who know a lot and live terrible lives. And this probably is one of the problems that the Pharisees faced. They knew it all so well, and they selectively applied it, and they were so proud they wouldn't allow it to transform them. So, the Word of God... Sufficient, it's clear, necessary, it's authoritative, and we should see it that way. Next week, who and what is it about? What's the story that's told? And then so what? All right, so thanks for coming today. God bless.